Welcome back. My guest this week is Donnie Starkins. Donnie is a personal development coach and he works one-on-one with individuals and he's had the privilege of working with some of the top professional athletes in the world like Darren Waller and Tyrone Matthew. And in this conversation, we go back through his story and a lot of it started in or around 2005 after multiple knee operations, he gets addicted to pain medication. He later finds his sobriety, and since then, he has become one of the leaders in the industry. Um, I believe in a lot of what Donnie stands for, and I really enjoyed the conversation with him. And as Donnie knows, um, performing at your highest level takes a lot of different things. And one of the main things you can focus on is your sleep. And that is why I have loved my partnership with Engineered Sleep. If you're struggling with your sleep, I trust Engineered Sleep to work with you to find the best mattress possible for you so you can get the best night's sleep possible and in turn perform your best on a daily basis. If you use promo code LIVE15, you'll get 15% off your order. But most importantly, you're going to get an incredible mattress. You're going to have an incredible team behind you working with you at Engineered Sleep to get you the best mattress possible. Um, Make sure to use promo code LIVE15. You'll get 15% off your order. Their website is engineeredsleep.com. Or if you're in the upstate of South Carolina, you can go visit them at their showroom in Greenville, South Carolina. Or just give them a call, mention the podcast, use promo code LIVE15. You'll get 15% off that order. But most importantly, you're going to get an incredible mattress and start sleeping better so you can perform better on a daily basis. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Donnie Starkins. Donnie, what's up, man? First off, thank you for joining me. Um, You had an awesome pod that dropped today on you, your show. Um, But what's up, man? How's your morning going? Morning's been good. I mean, I have a very pretty dialed in uh, morning routine just because for me, it's essential to have a morning routine and have a solid foundation for my day. Because basically, if I don't, um, I'm a mess. And so morning routines and rituals this morning, it looks like waking up in the morning and laying in bed and thinking about a few things I'm grateful for. Then my feet hit the ground, I make my bed. So I already have like two wins happening before I even really get my day going. And um, and I'll try to do a couple of readings, like read the Daily Stoic and read the Daily Reflections from the from the 12 Steps, couple of readings, get a little meditation in and um, uh, then move my body. So this morning I went to F45 and did a, a functional workout. It's either that or yoga every morning and then went to the beach with my dogs and let them run and play ball and now I'm sitting here talking to you. So yeah, those few of those are non-negotiables and I don't get down to the beach every day, but I tried to because it's just awesome to be down there. But that's really important for me to have that foundation because one day I didn't have that foundation. And even in my sobriety, like just didn't have any structure or routine to my mornings. And I realized like it was very shaky and I would be very irritable and easily frustrated and easily distracted. And so I don't want to do that. Like even working out and moving my body, it's all for my mental health. Like the sure. physical stuff, I, I could care less. I mean, it feels good to to look okay and not be totally overweight, but really I'm working out in the mornings to feel better so I can be comfortable in my own skin. Man, that is, I think our story, and you don't know my story very well, but we have a lot in common. And I tell people that all the time. They ask me like, why do you work out every day? Why do you do this every day? I'm like, I do it for my mind. Like, I love the way it makes me feel and like 
you know, the physical aspects of it are a byproduct of it. But I work out and I sweat every day for my mind. Um, and I love you said non-negotiables. That's your guy. I've heard Darren Waller now spoke, speak about this all the time. But tell me what these non-negotiables are and why you incorporated in for your clients and in your routine. Yeah, it's just getting clear on like, what are the things I always talk about this idea of sharpening our saw, like, you know, if our job were to cut down trees with this, our task would consist of two things, cutting down trees and sharpening our saw. So when we're sharpening our saw, no trees are getting cut, but um, having our tool in optimal shape makes our job easier, our work more efficient. But if we never took time to sharpen our saw, then we end up just frustrated um, easily agitated. And so it's just why it's essential that we spend time every single day sharpening our saw. So it's about these, what are the self-care practices that make you feel connected to connected to God or spirit or universe, whatever you choose to call it. What are those things that, um, allow time to stop where like nothing else where you're like fully immersed in the present moment. And then what are the, the, the physical, like if it's workouts, if it's, what are the movements, some type of movement that feels good for your body. So it's just getting clear on like, what are those non-negotiables and then not letting anything get in the way of them. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing, I, it feels like oftentimes the only thing that gets in the way is, and I'm holding up my phone for those yep. that are maybe just listening. I mean, let me just be clear that like, yes, I teach this stuff. I teach mindfulness. I teach high performers and personal development, but I am tripping over the things that I'm teaching maybe daily. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in the work with you. And even though I might drop some nuggets, it's all stuff that like just I've worked on work through or I'm working through as we speak. But that phone, man, is like I need there's things that I need to do every single morning before I look at that phone. Um, I had a coach take me through this visualization once. And she'd ask like, okay, what do you want? Like, what are you really wanting? And for me, it was like, I want a morning routine. I keep waking up in the morning, looking at my phone. The very first thing I do is when I wake up is I look at my phone and I look at text, email, social media. Immediately, my day starts in reaction and distraction. And she said, um, okay, well, I'm going to take you through this, medita uh, this meditation, this visualization. And I want you to visualize like you're, you're in a movie theater and there's three screens. The first screen is you watching yourself grab your phone first thing in the morning. The second screen is you choosing to do your practices, meditation, uh, reading, like creating some space before you look at your phone. And then the third screen is this white, white screen, like just a blank white screen. She says, I'm going to make this swooshing sound. And every time I make this swooshing sound, I want the screen to change. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird, but okay. And so I started and she starts going, shoo, shoo, shoo. And she did it for like a minute and I just tried to visualize it. The screen kept changing. She's like, all right, let's check in in a week and let me know how things are going. I'm like, that's it. And the next day I woke <laughs> up in the morning and I was aware there was like space. I was aware I had, a, I had space to make a decision whether to look at the phone or meditate or, and read and do my little rituals. So I was like, Oh my God, I'm like more aware of it's four days go by. I'm doing it every day. And then the fifth day I, I have the space I'm aware, but I choose my phone and I choose my phone. And then the rest of the day, I was just like a shit show. And, Dang. um, and I'll never forget that. I was like, wow, like I really need this. And then now from that day on, 
And some days it's not 30 minutes. Some days it might be 10 minutes or five minutes, but like I make sure that I don't choose that phone because I know how it makes me feel. And I just, I want to be comfortable in my own skin and starting my day that way in reaction. I mean, I just, it's not fun. Do you have a method or something you teach the people you work with to like get this engraved in them on a daily basis? I mean, I do. If someone that doesn't have any practices, if they're not meditating, if they're not reading, I would say like, start, if you want to start this, start so small. So it's the appropriate chunk size. It's small enough to feel attainable, but big enough to feel worthwhile. So let's just go like, it's like James Clear talks about in the Atomic Habits that when you start a new habit, you want to start so small, right? Because if I were to sit there and say, okay, you're going to start meditating for 10 minutes every day. And then you're like 10 minutes and then you try it one day and you can only do it five or you don't do it because it just feels like too much. Then you give up on it. So we're playing the long game. Like if this is something that you want to do the rest of your life, then let's just start with a minute and or let's start with 10 deep breaths and let that be your meditation for the next week. And then we can start to stack and, you know, the whole idea of compounding uh, or compound interest, where if we just continue to stack it and then after week two, it might be two minutes, week three, it might be three minutes, but I would just say start small. Yep. Start small with 10 deep breaths, start with a, a very short, like devotional reading, like a couple things. The one thing I didn't mention in my routine is just the journaling and starting with writing the three things I'm grateful for three things that would make today. Great. Usually I'll come up with like a word for the day. And that word is basically my intention. So it might be focus, clarity, um, gratitude, um, hard work. Like it can be whatever. But it's that intention. Intentions are like goals without the expectations, right? So like you set the intention and then that intention pulls you forward through the day. So having a word for the day is it's like an anchor or like this little accountability partner that you can have all throughout your day. Dang. Where do you get your word for the day? I just I think it's like, what do you want? Like, what do I want more of? Mm -hmm. Or what do I want? I don't usually go less of because you don't ever want to say what you don't want. Like when you're setting goals, you want to say what you want because there's the saying what we appreciate appreciates. And when we say like, I don't want this, all our brain hears is I want this. So we want to state it in the positive, basically. Got it. And I'll usually just sit like in the meditation and just come up with something. And a lot of times, like lately, it's just been like focus or clarity. Perfect. Because I can want more clarity. Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's amazing because you see the person you are today and you are open to telling your story. And, and I've heard it a couple of times now, but I think it's always important for people to understand kind of where you came from, right? And like you look at yourself today, you know, it's totally different than where you were in 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007. So to give the listeners a quick brief, like talk us through you know, it's not obviously quick. It was years of your life. But let's go back to your baseball playing days, the days where you have to have these surgeries, the addiction to pills. Like, take us back to then. Yeah, the, that part is important, right? Because it's all it's all connected and led me to where I'm at today. But yeah, I grew up in Arizona. I grew up my whole life playing sports, athletics, specifically baseball is what I really excelled at. Played baseball all the way up until my senior year at Arizona State University and 15 games into my senior year, I had a massive traumatic knee surgery. It was a cadaver transplant of my meniscus. I was the first person in Arizona to ever have this surgery. Uh, the doctor really sold me well on this surgery and basically said, 
You know, you, you could have your, the we could clean up the rest of the torn cartilage, but you have the knee of a 90 year old man. And eventually you're going to have to have your knee replaced in a, a couple of years. And it's unheard of to have your knee replaced at your age, or there's this new operation. There's an alternative. It's I've never done it. It's been done seven times across the country and it's been successful. And if all goes well, it'll be like having a new knee. And so I just bought in and this is the head orthopedic surgeon at Arizona state. So I just trusted him. I didn't go get a second opinion. I was like, he's, he's not going to screw me over. Mm -hmm. uh, I know he, I'm an athlete at this school. He's, he's got my back and my best interest. Um, so I had the surgery and you know, the day I woke up from that surgery, I woke up in this hospital bed. It was dark. It must've been the middle of the night. I was all alone. I had a morphine drip. The morphine drip would go off every 10 minutes. I probably woke up every nine minutes, like just dying, the dying in pain, not getting any reprieve from the pain. I looked down at my leg, my whole leg from my hip to my ankle was bruised. And so I knew just the, from the, the signs and scars of trauma to the unbearable pain that I knew baseball was over for me. And then it was from that day and for many years after where my world got turned upside down from a life of addiction. I mean, pills, pain pills, um, Vicodin, Oxycontin, Percocet. Um, thank God fentanyl wasn't around when I was sure. using, because I probably wouldn't be here today. Um, but if I couldn't get those Xanax value, I was a real, I just love prescription pills, the downers. I did a lot of other drugs, but the, the pills are really what had its grip on me. And that went on for years. Um, um, and then my life got so bad and, you know, things happened in my, in my, in my addiction, like having an overdose, I overdosed in Mexico once. And, um, the next, my brother and brother-in-law had to come pick me up from a hospital in Mexico, drive me back to Arizona. And the next day they tried to do an intervention on me. And I'm like, I don't have a problem. I'm not going to rehab. I'm not stopping my life for 30 days. Like I got stuff to do and I had nothing going on in my life, but just the delusion of like thinking I didn't have a problem, but really I was just scared to stop my life. Cause I thought there's a stigma around going to treatment and what's everybody else going to think and rehab is for losers yet. Like mm -hmm. here I am, my life is like spinning and spiraling. You know, my parents are worried sick, but I just wasn't ready. So I just went to meetings for a little while to keep my parents off my back, but I'd go to these meetings and not hear anything. Um, cause I just wasn't ready. You know, they say, uh, when the, when the teacher or when the student is ready, the teacher will appear and I wasn't ready. So getting into rehab and when I got into rehab, like, you know, just more years after that, just beat up from my addiction. I remember lying in bed that first day and I had no sense of a higher power or God, but it was like a foxhole prayer of like, God, just tell me what I need to do to get it right this time. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just ready. I'm done. I'm banged up. I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I just kind of waited around that day to like hear some kind of voice. But that night and actually every night in treatment uh, two two people would come in um, to run a, a meeting, a 12 step meeting. And that first meeting, it was a pills anonymous meeting. And the guys came in and they said things like go to meetings, get a sponsor, work the steps with that sponsor. And I heard it. I knew what I needed to do after day one. Now, I've been going to meetings for years before that and never heard that, even though they were saying it every single meeting. Yeah. And so it's like, I asked God to speak to me because I believe God speaks through the mouths of other people. Like that's where I hear God or spirit. Um, and I heard it. And so I know what I needed to do. And so I went all in and went in for three years. Like, and then I allowed after about three years, I started to stray away and all the blessings and all the gifts that my, the program of recovery had given me were the things that started to take me out. I started to, to get things and material things and the good job. And so I strayed away. 
And I ended up hurting my right knee. It was a minor surgery that I had to have. And I woke up from that surgery and I loved the way that I felt. And six days later, I was back in the doctor's office lying about the pain and I had been starting my relapse. And so the relapse, they say, starts before the relapse. So because I had stopped doing the work and straight away um, stopped being of service, stopped working with my sponsors, stopped helping others, um, it was like I was setting myself up for it. And so that went on for like another like 10 months of a, of a relapse. And then um, finally on May 5th, 2013, I had my brother p- uh, drive me to detox and I spent five days in detox. And I, I, I felt like I didn't necessarily need to go to treatment again. I just need to get this out of my system because I can't stop on my own. Mm-hmm. The moment I took that first pill, it's like the mental obsession. There was no way I could stop. So I needed to go away five days, detox it all out. And, and I've been sober since. And like, you know, I thought my life was over when I had to stop using and drinking and partying. And what I realized was really my life was just getting started. Yeah. It's leading to the life where you are today during more of your active addiction before your relapse. Like how were you getting your pills? Where you were you finding your pills? How was your life around you at that time? Yeah. Great question. I, so I, I had a long list of a medical history of knee pain. So I could go in and I would find the doctors that I knew were, were like writers, like they would write um, prescriptions without, without like questioning, Mm -hmm. right? Like word would get out with the people I was hanging out with of doctors that just would write big prescriptions and not question what you were doing. Um, And then I had um, a psychologist that would prescribe me the Xanax and the Valium, right? Or just whatever, one of those two. Neither doctor knew um, that I was seeing the other one, right? So I was like playing both doctors. And now by this time, I'd had six surgeries on my knee, but I honestly did not need pain pills for my knee. Like I don't, I don't even take anything today and I've had seven surgeries now, but I could, because of my medical history and this cadaver transplant, I could go in there and just lie about the pain. <clears throat> So I would get them from those doctors and I would get a month prescription from both of those doctors, but those month prescriptions would last like a week. So they wouldn't even come close to lasting. So then there's this vicious cycle of finding them from the people I'm hanging out with or somebody else knows somebody. I mean, basically it's considered like finding them on the street. I might not have been like actually on the physical street, but they weren't being obtained by a doctor. That's for sure. It just wouldn't last. Like it was never enough, no matter what kind of big prescription I would get. I could never like, it would never be enough. And that vicious cycle of waking up every single day riddled in fear and anxiety because the pills are now, you know, it's been six or seven hours since I've taken a pill and you wake up and you're like detoxing off of this. And I'm such in fear of facing my day. So I would, you know, not in the morning think about definitely didn't have a morning routine. I mean, I had one, but it was the second I woke up popping pills and it wasn't about getting high or getting messed up. It was about feeling normal. Because 20 minutes later on an empty stomach, when I would take those pills, I would feel like this kind of like what a breath does for me today, this calm, soothing feeling um, wash over me. And then I could go deal with life on life's terms for about two hours until the pills would wear off. And then I would need to take more. So that was like the vicious cycle where I, where I was hooked in so bad. And, you know, eventually you just, it gets, for me, I just got so tired of being hooked on, hooked in that cycle every single day what were your you know what was your friends what you what was your family what were the people around you thinking were they trying to help you did they recognize it did you hide it from them probably a little all above 
Yeah, I was a liar. I mean, I was lying. I was not honest with myself and definitely not being honest with anybody else. If they knew like really the amount I was taking or what I was doing, like, you know, my mom, God bless her, but she's blinded by love, right? She's like the ultimate enabler. And it's just because she has so much love in her heart and didn't have the tools to deal or know how to set boundaries with um, a loved one or her son who was an addict. And so she just thought she was helping, but oftentimes getting in the way, whether that was just letting me, letting me live with her, stay mm-hmm. with her, trying to help in any way that she could. And then the friends, you know, I think the friends, I had a lot of using friends, right? And even in my using friends, I feel like I was still in bad shape from their perspective. And then I had closer friends, childhood friends that saw me mess up and do dumb stuff and tried to help and tried to set boundaries. But eventually, probably they just didn't want to hang out with me anymore. Mm -hmm. The team and the people at Engineered Sleep are offering you 15% off if you use promo code LIVE15 to get a new mattress. And I cannot tell you enough how much trust I have in the team at Engineered Sleep and the product they will provide to you if you have any questions about your current mattress. If you're getting bad sleep and you think it might be your mattress, it's time to upgrade your mattress. And the team at Engineered Sleep is here to do that for you. Use promo code LIVE15. You'll get 10% off your order. But most importantly, you're going to be working with an amazing company. You're going to have an amazing product. And you're going to start sleeping better at night and you'll start performing better on a daily basis so go to engineeredsleep.com use promo code live 15 get 15 percent off your order and start sleeping better and performing better on a daily basis do you think was there another root cause other than the pain that got you to start using the pills like was it anxiety was it depression was it loss you know what i mean like instead of the pain did you you know, dissect the reason you thought you were taking the pills? Yeah, the the root cause was not the pain. Uh, it wasn't the physical pain. So the root cause, the story I was telling myself was this, my knee, I had this surgery, this doctor screwed me over because the surgery ended up not working. I had to have it, the whole graft, the transplant taken out eight months later. So, um, when I got, when I got into rehab, I just got really curious, like what the hell happened to my life? I was this baseball player, my identity of a, being a star baseball athlete. And now I'm a drug addict. Like, where did it all go wrong? What I realized when I finally got help, like talked to a therapist and started working on myself, which really, this was the beginning of my journey into personal development was therapy and 12 step work. And when I started to look at my own stuff and realized like it was actually when I stopped blaming the doctors, blaming everybody else, stopped playing the victim, I didn't want to feel the emotional pain of the loss of baseball. So my core wound is losing my purpose, the love of my life, the only thing I ever knew, baseball, and getting all my validation from my, from my, from my dad and from people around me of like performance. And in one day that's gone well, I don't know what to turn to now because all of the validation was coming from baseball. Mm -hmm. And so it was, that is the core wound where all my identity was um, wrapped in that, which is why I'm so passionate and work with athletes and help athletes find their purpose beyond their sport. Um, Because it's going to end. It's it's not even just athletes. It could be a mom, an empty uh, empty nester mom that I might be working with that their child is about to leave for college. I'm like, you better know who you are beyond being a mom because things are going to change. 
And it's going to get messy if you don't have a purpose beyond this label of athlete, mom, um, CEO, whatever it might be. You better know who you are beyond that. What was it for you that helped you figure out and find your purpose in the years, months, days after? Was it your last, was it your relapse or was it getting over, I guess, the addiction in the first place? When did you start to find your new purpose? Yeah, I think it's it's been a journey and it's evolving. I always say our purpose isn't necessarily static. It's not something we create a purpose statement and that is our purpose statement the rest of our lives. Our purpose is really dynamic. It's fluid. What's consistent are, are our natural gifts and talents and the things that come easy to us, the pe- things that maybe people ask us for help in. And it's using those natural gifts and talents to really be of service, sharing those natural gifts and talents with the world. And I feel like for me, I love to inspire and to teach. And so how can I use those, right? And the journey of yoga came into my life with my mom, actually at my rock bottom, telling me to go to yoga because she was doing yoga way back in the day and um, doing it before it's before I would say before it was cool. Um, and I went with her once and I, I knew I would do yoga the rest of my life just from that one time from a physical standpoint. Favoring my left leg for 20 years, my right hip and my low back, everything was all jammed up. And so the reprieve I got from that first um, class physically, the little that I know what it would do for the mind and the soul. Mm-hmm. And that's when like, I just fell in love with it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to do this the rest of my life. I want to learn the lineage. I want to learn about it. And so I went to teacher training and then I got into teacher training. I'm like, oh, I want to teach this. I want to share the love. And so it's evolved the per like, I think yoga is personal development, but like, and I do teach yoga now, but the main part of my work is coaching and personal development and working with athletes and high performers and really just all walks of life. Um, Cause really the teachings are pretty much the same. We're working on at a heart level and a soul level and just um, breaking down and uprooting these old belief systems. And this not enough story that everybody seems to have in one form or another. And so it's evolved into this teacher and this coach and, um, you know, with the podcast that I do with Darren and I, and Darren, like we connected because of, because of our pasts where it's like, I always say my past used to bury me in guilt and shame. And maybe that's like, to answer your question, that's probably where the purpose started was when I was, um, I was tasked with, I did this leadership training and was tasked with going back into my community and creating a service project. And I started this monthly yoga event at this resort. And in the first one, I shared my story because not everybody knew my story in the yoga world. And the the moment, the day after hour, the day I shared that story, I feel like everything changed for me where now it was like, they say you're only as sick as your secrets and to be able to like transmute your pain into purpose and actually help others. And so I was so worried about what everybody else was going to think you know, are they going to judge me of my story? But that was like the catalyst that really um, sent me into this, 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 this journey of like just sharing and comeback stories where everybody has a comeback story. So that's probably really where it all started. What was it like, like for you after you tell your story the first time? And what I love about my podcast and my story too, is like telling stories is so powerful, no matter where you're coming from. I mean, comeback stories in general, right? Like people love them and they're inspiring and they connect you to people. Do you remember what you felt 
after you kind of told your first story and the response was probably a lot different than what you might thought you might have thought yeah i think it does come back to purpose purpose and freedom where you know the story and the judgment that i had about my past and then once i was able to share it and it was out there i was like free free from the just the self judgment that i was having about what others were going to think and it really did set me free and i i i can i can remember to this day like i felt like i found my voice Mm-hmm. And the teachings of the yoga where I wasn't just teaching a physical practice and calling out pose names, but talking about um, like sending a message in there, carrying the message of self-love and healing and recovery. And, and so I think purpose and freedom are like the, the emotions or the feelings that I had. Yeah. Do you, you know, a lot of people are scared to, to tell their jewelry journey and open up and, and kind of tell where, what they've been through and come through. Do you, when you're working with people now, is that something you focus on? Like being more open about your struggles or your anxieties or, or things that they've gone through? Absolutely. And it does, you don't have to have, you don't have to take my approach and share it with the world. But I do know, like coming back to that quote of you're only as sick as your secrets, like you have to share it with somebody. This is the genius of the 12 step program where, you know, you have to at least share it with your sponsor or share with somebody um, and just remove it because we, I feel like we drag ourselves through the glass and we, we have these things that we've done in our lives that we're not proud of and we keep replaying them in our minds. And so that becomes like this, this like massive self judgment. Like we did this terrible thing, but the, the moment that we share it, it almost like removes that power from us. And ultimately like, You know, if I'm working with somebody, I'm like, there's nothing you can tell me where I'm going to be like, whoa, this person's messed up. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you a little bit about my story and what I did. And so once I can share that, it kind of gives them permission to do the same where they have this story and think they've done all these terrible things. And then they maybe hear what I did and they're like, oh, geez. And it gives (laughs) them permission. It makes them feel safe to share. So you got to find somebody that you trust, whether it's a sponsor, a coach, a pastor, um, somebody that you can open up and share it all, all of it. Who, who was the first, uh, we could say athlete, like who was the, who, what was your entrance into working with these like unbelievable athletes? Uh, my entrance was working with the Phoenix Suns as a team. Um, I started teaching the, the team as a whole yoga and meditation. And in that there was a couple, um, individuals like Eric Bledsoe, who used to play for the Mm -hmm. Suns, who was all about the yoga and that would branch off into private stuff that I would do with him. Um, then the first football player was Tyron Matthew, who at the time was playing for the Cardinals. And then there just starts to kind of become this theme of like people that maybe have some stuff in their past. Uh, Tyron's is all in college is kind of where he fell Mm -hmm. and everybody expected him to fall once he got to the NFL, but he's done nothing but be a leader in on the field and in the locker room and and in his community and so for 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 basketball or like for sports it was really the sons and eric bledsoe and then as it as it progressed tyron was my first football player and then eventually connected with darren and it's kind of just snowballed from there do you have a process like what is i mean everybody's different right we all are individuals but do you have a 
process or a game plan usually when you start working with somebody like to identify where they can improve or, or things that they need to incorporate? Yeah. I mean, I think as a coach, like one of the things that we want to do is we want to understand what they're wanting. Like, why are you talking to me? Why are you wanting to do this work? Why does this matter to you? And, and the, the process doesn't start with figuring out their why. Um, but it starts with like, what are some maybe six to 18 month goals? Like, what are you wanting out of this? If you could, um, wave a magic wand and get what you wanted just in these next few months, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And then, um, getting into like, okay, well then what's, how's it going to look and getting them to visualize, like, what's it going to feel like? What's it going to look like? How would things unfold in your finances, in your relationships on the field, off the field, if you were to get these things so they can really go there. Uh, and then it's getting clear on like what's stopping you, what's slowing you down, what's getting in the way and what's the impact that's having. So you're kind of like getting them where they're wanting to go and where they're at. And so there's usually like a gap. Right. And so we start to shine the light of awareness on the things stopping us and slowing us down because it's like what's in the way is the way. And so we got to figure out what those are and bring awareness to them. And then once we're aware of them, it kind of loosens the grip in a natural way. And then we get into the practices. Um, what's what's that going to look like? The daily practices, the morning routines. And, um, you know, most of the athletes have, have structure, but we want to level it up. Like they're looking to level it up and really separate themselves from their competition. Um, and physically, you know, there's like, I know in basketball, there's like a top three or 4%. And then it just drops and everybody else is kind of the same. And so usually what separates is the mental part of it. And a lot of the athletes that I work with, what I'm working on are um, the things that are going to help them in preparation, like the on the field stuff they have coaches for. It's all the preparation. And a lot of it is like boundaries, speaking like boundaries to their families and their friends. So they're protecting their peace, these athletes and all of us really are being pulled in a thousand different directions from the world's demand for the attention of our minds. Athletes are on a, a brighter spotlight and have more of it through social media agents, yeah. me, um, regular media, family members. Um, so everybody's pulling at them. So we have to give them tools to be able to find their center. If they don't have tools to find their center, they're going to be feeling like they're being again, pulled in a thousand different directions and never feel grounded and you're not going to make great choices from that place, especially if you don't trust um, the people around you. But that trust ultimately comes with trusting yourself, getting crystal clear on what your values are. And from our values, we can ultimately our values become a filter system for every decision that we make. Dang. And so when we know our values, we actually don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. So when the media <laughs> and comments and people are commenting things, when we know who we are and we're keeping the promises we make to ourselves and we're actually living in alignment with our values and we can't be phased. You really mm -hmm. can't be phased. And now we're human beings and naturally things are going to come in. Now, when we start to live out of alignment and aren't being impeccable with our word and not in integrity, we are so much more vulnerable to the in internal noise and the outside noise that's happening. So a lot of this is rooted in core values because we can set goals in our from our values. And we can also set boundaries from our values on what to say yes to and what to say no to. And it's really helping the athletes. And again, just really everybody say no to certain things. Yeah, that's such a big those, thing. Yeah. 
And you mentioned, I mean, all those things. And, you know, at a professional athlete level, it's heightened, of course. But people in their daily life, they have their social media, they have their job, they have their kids, they have all these things. And just hearing it, right? Somebody's like stress levels can can pop up. Their anxiety can come up. And, you know, social media has only heightened that to the 10th degree. What do you, do you have a favorite practice or technique to say if you feel that coming on to help calm it down, your anxiety, your stress levels? Yeah, I have a few. They're, I call them anchors. So anchors are anything in our, in our physical environment, um, maybe our breath that's going to bring us back. So a lot of this work that we do is about coming back to our center and eliminating the gap of when your mind leaves your body. Your body knows where home is, but our minds take us down these roads that just like spin and make us feel homeless at times. So it's like, what are the anchors that we can use? And so whether it's your breath, which a very simple breath that I, that I use all the time is just taking a slow, deep inhale through the nose. And the exhale is like, you're slowly blowing out a candle or like exhaling through a straw. So when you do that, the exhale ends up like five times as long as the inhale. But when I do that, I just, when I exhale, I feel the stress and the tension just drop. My shoulders drop away from my ears. That breath is super powerful to me. I find myself using it in traffic often. Um, so also I have like a couple sayings, like, you know, when I'm rushing, I'm the worst version of myself when I'm rushing around, mm -hmm. nothing good happens to me when I'm going quick. Um, and so I'll say like, I don't have time to rush or another one is I have time because like the story I'm telling myself is I don't have time. I'm rushing around and now I'm spinning. But if I just say I have time, it's, it, it's, it, it stops. It's a positive pattern interrupt that redirects our focus. I have a, a bracelet on my, um, wrist. The word says freedom. So I have things on my physical body, a aura ring that I can just like touch. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going down a road, that's making me feel disconnected, stressed, afraid, um, anxious, I can just touch it or take a breath and it brings me back. So those are like anchors that I'll use to, um, to come back home. Yeah. And, uh, I think those are so important and I love like just the breath, like just when people can learn that they can just take a few deep, slow breaths in and out of your nose, in and out of your mouth. I mean, it affects the whole body. It affects the whole nervous system. Everything around you kind of slows down. And it's amazing. Like, it's just hard for people to realize that that's something they can use. And it's very simple. And we all breathe all the time, every day. And it's one of the most powerful things that you can do. Um, when, when I found you, it's from Comeback Stories and the podcast that you've been hosting, helping host with Darren Waller. Talk me through how that came about, how you got connected to Darren, and then the idea to have Comeback Stories. Yeah, so I connected with Darren. I saw his story on Hard Knocks, HBO Hard Knocks. Uh, I was lying in bed that one night watching it, and you know he's talking about his sobriety and his recovery and um, their showing him going, they're driving with him to go to a meeting. And I'm like, wow, I've got to meet this guy. Like I've been working with Tyron. I've been working with some athletes back in Phoenix, the Phoenix Suns. Um, and this dude was doing what I did, shared my story, but he was doing it on a platform that was thousand times bigger than what I did. But I was so inspired by his willingness and uh, vulnerability and honesty 
And I'm like, I got to connect with this dude. And so I got on Instagram, you know, at the time, I think he had like 3000 followers or Dang. something like that because <laughs> he wasn't playing. He had never really played. He was a special teams guy and was like, you know, failing all the drug tests with the Ravens. So he wasn't, no one really knew of him other than just his college time at Georgia tech. And so I messaged him and just told him the deal and said, listen, I work with athletes back in Phoenix. I work with the sons. I work with Tyron. Um, and he responded right away and said, yes, let's, I'd love to work with you. And so I coached him for about a year. Um, and then the relationship just developed and, and, and he's my one of my best friends to this day. And so one day I just kind of had the idea mm -hmm. and presented it to him about comeback stories. And he was like, let's do it. Yep. And so that's how it started. And it's like, we knew we started the podcast because our mission has been to reach as many people as possible to remind them that they're not alone and that they have a comeback story. Everybody has a comeback story in them. And so that's kind of how it evolved. And we started it over the pandemic and um, did it all virtually and didn't really know what we were doing, but we knew we wanted to have people tell their stories. And so, um, yeah. And since then it's, it's just really taken off. Now we've got a podcast studio that we um, have a podcast deal with blue wire uh, media out of the Wynn hotel in Vegas. And yeah, the guests, um, you know, from a notoriety standpoint seem to be getting bigger and bigger, but the stories are just epic. And it's not about the following of the guests. It's just the depth of these stories and how deep these conversations are going. Yeah. And those real authentic conversations are, I think, you know, listening to numerous episodes that y'all have is what makes it what it is. And like you said, I mean, you have these amazing guests, but like getting to have these real conversations is what is so meaningful. Do you have, you've talked with all these incredible people and some of my white whales, like I got to get Phelps on one day, but yeah. do, you, do you have, like, have you realized or recognized something all these amazing high performers have in common or something they kind of do the same? Well, I think what I recognize in their stories is that like Michael even said it on his, on our podcast is that we're all the same. We all have pain and we're just all trying to find freedom from that pain. And the, the guests that we're having on have transmuted or um, turned their pain into purpose or their mess into their message where they're whatever happened to them in their story, they're now using it to be of service and to help others. And so that's like the common theme and where I believe people like Michael Phelps who, you know, yes, he had a ton of gold medals more by far more than anybody ever. But I believe the work that he's doing now is way more important, way more powerful. And I, and I feel like that's kind of the common theme with the athletes that we have on. It's like the work they're doing now, if they're retired is like way more beneficial than all the accolades and things they were doing on the field or on the court or in the pool. And that's really amazing when you hear an athlete say that, because like you said at the very beginning of our conversation, when the athlete loses their sport, they've lost their purpose. So for them to find something that can impact them on a different level, even greater level than them playing on the field or the court or swimming in the pool is kind of the hardest thing for them to do. But when they find it, they're so darn good at it and can affect so many people you know, from their platform. What is... A retreat with you look like i know you have one coming up in november is it more yoga is it teaching um what kind of retreats are you putting on yeah so they're wellness retreats and yoga is a piece of it but it's really just a morning practice that we do 
Um, most of the retreat is around wellness, right? So yoga, meditation, um, breath work and sound. I have a breath work and sound teacher that comes in and people just have these transformational experiences by just using the breath, doing holotropic breathing, having um, instruments and a playlist that just rocks people's worlds in a beautiful way. So, so much of it is, is about transformation. And then there's a lot of personal development, working on ourselves with practices and exercises around um, self-love and um, goals and values, like all of these things that we're talking about. So we weave it all in in an experience. And November 4th through the 9th, that's the Tulum retreat. That's um, you know one of my longer retreats when we go somewhere further, go international there'll be longer retreats. And then included in that are excursions where we're, you know, visiting cool places within the land. We'll like go to a sweat lodge in Tulum and um, cool. um, do some other adventures, but it's really just about community and connection. And I feel like these retreats, they're so amazing. I feel like I'm so in my purpose when I'm leading and facilitating these because people come to these retreats and they're able to put their phone away and, and stop all the doing and all of the things that have us distracted. And they're able to come to a place and work on themselves and remember what matters most. Mm -hmm. And so there's massive breakthroughs and transformations on these retreats. And also the power of the collective where people are doing this work together, where some of the biggest transformations actually happen in listening to somebody else's story. Oh yeah. Where we think like, yeah, we're the only one going through this. And then somebody shares something or somebody shares something something so raw and real that it becomes so inspiring that they're they're willing to get honest and share this with a group. And so, yeah, and then it's just really staying with the, the attendees on integration and making sure that when they go back into their worlds that they don't forget and allow the busyness and all of those things to distract us from the new awarenesses or ahas that they had on the retreat. Very cool. And, and that connection, as you mentioned, when people share their stories, that is what creates real connection and real bonds and real purposes. When, when you create those real connections, Donnie, I mean, I just want to thank you for coming on. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to see your content and learning more about you and, and really the mission and the purpose behind comeback stories. Cause like you said, when you hear somebody else's story, no matter what you're going through and you can realize somebody else is, has been through it or maybe been through something worse. It's just like uplifting. And you don't know much about my story, but I was in rehab once and I got a letter from my dad and he told me like, you know, Michael Phelps has been through this. He told me like some of these amazing actors and some of these amazing people that you look up to and they were also been through a struggle and got through it. And I think that's something you're doing with comeback stories with Darren and all the stories y'all are sharing, which is incredibly powerful. So I want to thank you for doing that. Um, it's really amazing. And, and anybody that hasn't listened, they got to go listen to comeback stories with, with you and Darren. Um, you'll have incredible guests, but really having incredible conversations. So thank you for coming on. Um, it's really been a pleasure to have you and uh, maybe we'll connect again someday. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for uh, creating this platform and this space and for everything that you're doing. And I really enjoyed this too. I can obviously talk about this stuff all day long. You're right. You're right. Well, um, thank you again and we'll catch up soon. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.